Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. Well, you got a new dance and it goes like this. If you were around in the 1960s, you know who our guest is. Joey D of Joey D and the Starlighters. They had this fantastic song. It was a huge hit, over a million sold Peppermint Twist. If you didn't know him then, if you remember American Graffiti, you heard that song. You've heard that song somewhere along in your lifetime, and uh, he's still going strong. Joey, uh, what are you up to these days? Where are you living? What are you up to? Stephen, I live in uh, Clearwater, Florida, and I've been here since... uh... 1989, I love Florida. Uh, originally, I'm a Jersey boy, and one of my idols was Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, and they, I used to follow them all over when they were the Four Lovers. And Tommy DeVito, who was one of the original Four Seasons, uh, was living out in uh, Vegas, and he just passed away recently, and very, very dear friend of mine. But what I'm up to is uh, I just completed a book. It took me 11 years to compile it. And the book is called The Peppermint Twist Chronicles. And it's all about the fantastic people I've had in my life and in my career. This book that I have, and you can get it on Amazon or joeyd.com, Peppermint Twist Chronicles, was endorsed by very, very big deals in show business. People like Barry Gibb endorses the book. Frankie Valley endorses the book. Aaron Neville, Ronnie Spector from the Ronettes. It goes ad infinitum. It's just incredible the people I've had the pleasure of working with and had through my group. Well, it's a great book. Everybody should get it if you like music because this is your history. (laughs) You know, and Joey saw a lot of it. The group Joey D and the Starlighters, I want to talk. First of all, you, you talked about famous people, and there's a couple that just come right to mind. Joe Pesci, the great actor, played the guitar for you, didn't he? It's just incredible. Joe, uh, I met when, when we were both kids and, um, I did a motion picture called uh, Hey, Let's Twist for Paramount. And uh, Joe used to be a nightly visitor to Peppermint Lounge. He got me Larry Veneri, who was one of the singers on Peppermint Twist. So uh, he asked me, can you get me in uh, in a movie? And I said, I'll talk to the uh, director, Greg Garrison, and ask him uh, if we can get you in. He said, uh, I really appreciate it. So I talked to Greg Garrison, and I said, uh, I have a friend who'd like to be an extra in a movie. And Pesci said, uh, wow, that would be great. And Greg Garrison said, can he twist? And I said, oh, he's a great twister. He said, well, he's in. So, hey, let's twist is the first motion picture Pesci ever appeared in. And we've been, we've been friends ever since we were kids. 
we had band contests and when he was uh, in Jersey, we were the number one band and every year we would have a contest and he can never beat my band. He was with another guy who happens to live in Vegas, who was my keyboardist, Bill Callanan. And uh, I love Billy and he's a very special guy. And um, each year we'd win. So uh, eventually Pesci said, I, I'm quitting this band. I'm joining your band, Joey. <laughs> you know, you mentioned Greg Garrison. That's the Greg Garrison that did the Dean Martin show, wasn't it? That's exactly right. A lot of people are unaware of that, but he was a real good guy. And while we were doing a movie, uh, he got a an MG that he let me use while we were filming the movie for about two months. So uh, he he was a very talented guy. And I'm I'm uh, very surprised, Stephen, that. You're aware who Greg Garrison is. I'm very pleased to know that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you Good mentioned guy. the MG. That was my favorite car when I was growing up as a kid. Was that as much fun as it seemed like? It was very much fun. And while we filmed the uh, the movie in New York City, and I was living in Jersey, so I was commuting, and the only downside of it was, uh, you know, it was a stick shift, so standard shift, but uh, I got caught in a rainstorm going over to George Washington Bridge, and it was a hand thing, like a baby carriage. You had to pull the thing up and crank the thing down and, and lock it in. And by that time, you got soaking wet. It didn't really matter that you, <laughs> yeah. that you put it all together. Yeah, it's, t- it's but, tough and rainy climate. Let's, <laughs> let's go back to Vegas in, 19, in 1962 with Dick Clark. And I was there with the Ronettes and the Dovells and Dion and the Belmonts. And we played at the Flamingo. I mean, I have so much history with with uh, Las Vegas, uh, that's that was the ideal. That was the yeah. challenge, and that was uh, the place that I said, you know, if you work in Vegas, man, you made the big time. Well, Vegas was tough I, on on rock and roll back then. I mean, Elvis uh, had a had a tough first run. Even the, you know, even the Beatles. I mean, obviously that was such a big deal by the time they got there. But it wasn't the kind of thing that went crazy. So, how was that? Was that a good uh, was that a good set for you? I mean, that's a great. Uh, sounds like a great uh, group of people to go see on a concert. It was a, it was a great venue because you have to recall early 1960s. Dick Clark from American Bandstand he put the show on wherever Dick Clark went, and I did so many concerts with him all over the country. People would come in uh, in huge numbers when we when we did the uh, Flamingo in in Las Vegas. It was just a, a great experience. The Ronettes and the Dovells and Dion and the Belmonts, it doesn't get bigger than that, especially back then. We all had big hit records at the time, number ones, number twos. It wasn't, it wasn't tough on us because Dick Clark was, was our uh, forerunner. And when he put on a concert, people came en masse. It was just incredible. I want to get into this whole Peppermint Twist thing because I think it's fascinating. But before we do... One other name, guitarist. You want to talk about having a good guitarist? Yeah, Jimi Hendrix with you. <laughs> uh, did you know when you first heard him, like, wow, this guy is really great? Or is that something that over time you look back and you go, my God, he's good, you know, that you didn't even realize it at the time? In 1965, I was in need of a guitarist because the the group kept morphing and we we keep changing uh guitar players or drummers or whatever. But I had a drummer from Chicago, Jimmy Mays, and I was in need of uh, a guitarist. 
And I said to Jimmy, we got to find a guitarist. And he said, there's a dude that's in New York City right now. He's looking for a gig. And he just came off the road with the Isley Brothers and Little Richard. I said, you know what? I'll have you and my, my nephew, Johnny, pick him up in the city and bring him to my house in Lodi, New Jersey, where I was living. And I'll audition him. So he came to my house. He came with a guitar, no case for the guitar. He had a bandana on. And uh, he had a little two-by-four amplifier, and you, you could see he was going through some tough times. But anyway, he came to the house, and uh, he took out the guitar, plugged it in. Uh, we were in, in my garage in, in Lodi, and he said, uh, what do you want me to play? And I said, you know what? Play what you like to play. And at the time, he told me his name was Maurice James. And I said, okay, uh, Give, give me something that you like. So he started playing Curtis Mayfield, and I'm an R&B guy from my heart from when I was a kid. And when he started playing Curtis Mayfield, and 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 first of all, I saw the guitar was un, upside down. I said, how the heck can he play this thing upside down? But he played it great, and I said, man, you are so fabulous. You got the gig. <laughs> so wow. did I recognize the talent? I certainly didn't. For the year of 1965, we must have done 50 50 gigs together and he he was you know a hall of famer here and a hall of famer in uh great britain did you stay in touch so, with him once he uh got off on his own you know we were uh, rock and roll stars i i had a number one hit record and, and this is three years later and hendrix was in the band and it just couldn't be any better than that the, the guy was a superstar I, I knew it right away I wasn't afraid. See, what happened with the Isley Brothers and Little Richard, Jimmy was so great that he was outshining them, and they didn't like that. And that's why they got rid of him. And in my particular case, I took him in the group because it enhanced what I was doing, and it made us superstars. So uh, it made me look really good, and I didn't care about the competition. He was part of Joey D and the Starlighters. Now, you have to understand this. I've been so blessed. I had three guitars in my band, two of them in the Hall of Fame, and one of them won an Academy Award. That would have been Pesci. And I had Gene Cornish from the Young Rascals as my guitarist after after uh, Jimi Hendrix. So I had two Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, man, and I had one... Like I said, uh, won an Academy Award. They probably remember the Peppermint Twist. Like I said, everybody heard it, but you don't realize that it goes so much deeper. I was really shocked when, or just in, in researching this, the, the whole thing, even with the twist, everybody remembers Chubby Checker with that. But really, your song was, I'll be honest, in my opinion, was the best song of that twist thing. And this whole twist craze. How did it, it just well, that, kind of the music you play? I mean, how did you seem to you seem to get it like the timing was right for this? Exactly right, being at the right place at the right time. And getting back to the twist, Hank Ballard and the Midnighters they wrote it and created the original dance. I heard it on a jukebox in Newark, New Jersey. I went to see this group there, and I went with uh, David Brigatti from the Young Rascals and from Starlighters, and we were the only. Uh, Caucasians in the place and during the break when I was looking at this Pearl Reeves is the name of the group we went to see and I, I loved R&B music my whole life so um, during during the break I hear a song on the jukebox come on baby let's do the twist and the kids are dancing 
And I said, what a great song to add to, to the show. So, so the next rehearsal, we added that to our show. And that became uh, our one of our primary numbers. So let's give credit where credit is due, and that's Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. Chubby is the only one ever to have a number one twice on Billboard magazine. The reason being, he did the, uh, a copy of Hank Ballard's version, and it went to number one. And then after Peppermint Twist came out a year later, uh, with the revival of what was going on with the twist in our world and in our country, it became number one again. So that's the first time it ever happened. I mean, he, he deserves a lot of credit, but let's give credit to Hank Ballard for creating the whole deal. Yeah, and the song, The Peppermint Twist, though, had a certain sound to it. It was a, a raw sound that was just great for the dance. It's like, that's where you really wanted to go crazy because it, I thought it took it to a new level. Stephen, I, I want to compliment you on, on picking that out and noticing that. I was signed to Roulette Records when we first uh, made the big time. And uh, I said to Henry Glover, who was the A&R man, we need to have an original song. And he said, uh, he came one Sunday afternoon to the Peppermint Lounge, went back uh, in the dressing room. We had a little beat-up piano. And he said, you know what, Joey, let's not do it the way they did it. Let's Let's make it a little funky. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I want it like... It wasn't straight, come on, baby, straight, four. And I said, no, let's let's do it. I love that version. So uh, we started writing the song, and within two hours, we wrote the Peppermint Twist. And it was all about the, what went transpired at the Peppermint Lounge. So the, the song and the feel to the song is exactly what you said. It was different. It was soulful. It was funky. And, and it made you want to get up and dance. And that's what it did for us. And it became number one around the entire world. I want to talk about the Peppermint Lounge because that place really had some famous people that dropped by and so forth. I was looking at some of the names, and you helped do this. Tell us the story of the Peppermint Lounge. Uh, initially, I was hired there from uh, an agent called Don Davis who discovered us in New Jersey, and it was a three-day uh, adventure, adventure. Uh, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday in 1960. So we went there, played the three days, and we uh, substituted for the house band. And the owners of the lounge liked us so much, they they got rid of the regular house band, and we became the house band. And the people that came into the Pepper Lounge first started with Merle Oberon and Charlie Knickerbocker. Uh, the Peppermint Lounge is on West 45th Street, between 6th and 7th Avenue in the heart of the New York Theater District. So now, one very, very rainy night, the people, go, people going from the, uh, the uh, uh, theater district, going to the parking garages in the, in the vicinity, stop in for a drink. And while they come in for a drink, Merle Oberon, and I'm a big uh, movie buff, so she was a, I, I couldn't believe she was coming in there with Charlie Knickerbocker wrote for the Daily News. And they came in and she saw the kids dance. I was doing a twist at the time. Timing couldn't have been more perfect. So she gets on the stage and starts dancing with the kids. Charlie Knickerbocker writes about it the next time. Within the next week, everybody and anybody came to the Peppermint Lounge. I'll give you uh, some of the names. John Wayne came in. 
Nat King Cole, Judy Garland was there every night. Uh, That's uh, the Marilyn epitome Monroe. of cool at that time, right? I, I mean, I mean it, <laughs> it was so cool, man. It just as I read that, I'm thinking you did have a blessed life because you look at it. I mean, that was one of those places that fit the '60s, that whole mood of that time. You know. Uh, the the early 60s and so forth those were the stars of the world quite frankly and to come in there and so forth just shows the appeal of uh, of your music too and then kind of the lifestyle you were right right in the right place at the right time exactly Stephen. and the people that that uh, ventured in uh in 1963 i was working 10 countries in europe so i get to stockholm sweden and i see in you know on the billboard in big letters, Joey D and the Starlight is from America, and opening act, the Beatles. And I had heard of them from the, from the uh, Star Club in Hamburg, Germany, and I never worked with them before. But they opened the show, and they were fantastic, and they, they blew the crowd away. So we had to bring our A game. We brought, also brought our great show together, and we did quite well. And... I went to them after their concert, and I said, listen, I'm going to throw a party for you guys tonight. Please, please join us. Let's have some fun. So we did. We got together. We had a wonderful party in in Sweden. It was just the one night, and I got to talk to all the Beatles, and they were great. had a great sense of humor. And then George says, we're coming to the States in a couple of months. This is October 1963, a couple of months before 64 when they came and did the Ed Sullivan show. So I said, we, we got to do this, man. Uh, so they all came to the party, all four of them. And then uh, I said to uh, uh, to George, listen, uh, you're going to the States, but you only have Please Please Me as an original. You're doing all songs like Fats Domino and the Everly Brothers and Chuck Berry and Little Richard. I said, you better have some new material, unbeknownst to me, that they were going to write be such great and prolific songwriters. Right, right. So, so George says, you know, you've been so nice to us, and and you showed us so much respect. When we come to the states, we're going to come to the Peppermint Lounge to see you. Now I'm a Jersey boy, so I'm a little skeptical. I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, not not thinking they were going to ever show up. Well, anyway, all four of them showed up, and they came wow. to see Joey D at the Starlighters. <laughs> it was it was just an amazing event, and once again, like you said, Stephen, being at the right place at the right time, and you know, it doesn't get better than the Beatles, and the Rolling Stones came in as well. So. We spoke with uh, Felix Cavalier off oh, several months ago, and he was talking about that because he was party. You know, I mean, here's a guy from <laughs> the Young Rascals, another Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing. He was a part of that. He said in that that Sweden concert that, and I guess it, it sounds like you feel the same way that. You just knew that they had something a little different than anybody else. You just there was a certain, even though you were right, they didn't have their own stuff to speak of. You, you knew there was something special. Is that something you just it was because of the reaction of the crowd, or or just the way they they kind of you know took care of themselves, it, or what? It was the reaction of the crowd and their sound. Their sound was unique. Now here's how Felix came. Billy Callanan, who worked the Star Club. Uh, I mean, uh, the Stardust in Vegas so many years, and my keyboard player had just gotten married. And he was my keyboard player. Now, his wife got homesick, so he he said, I have to leave, Joey. My wife wants to go home. So I had heard Felix at a place called uh, 
the Choo Choo Club in Garfield, New Jersey, owned by Sal Benora. And I said, man, you know what? I called my manager and I said, uh, Billy Callanan's leaving. I need a keyboard player. Get a hold of my, my man that I thought, you know, from the Young Rascals, and, and I'll fly him out and let him be part of the group. And this is prior to our going to Stockholm. He became my keyboard player, Felix Camilleri. And uh, he, he was a perfect fit because he was a funky player, played the B3, and sang like Marvin Gaye. So uh, I, I took him on. He became part of my group. I had a nightclub in New York City called Joey D. Starlighter, and he was my background. And I had Gene Cornish, and I had Eddie Brigatti, and they sounded so great together. They put their own group together, and they became the Young Rascals. So that's how that all transpired. It's just an amazing, uh, all, the, all these events, how they just occurred and just came together you know, serendipitous. It was just amazing to me. It's partly because you're not only an entertainer, but you're really a business person because you opened the Starlighter, and that was another place that was was completely successful. I guess you just, you know, you wanted to perform, but I mean, I know they had like the great Jackie Wilson was there and so forth. Uh, apparently, it was very popular as well. King Curtis, the Drifters, we had them all. I mean, I had the... Yeah. Uh, some of the the biggest names in show business in my club, Joey D. Starlighter. So, and and then as the house band, Jimmy Hendrix was was a guitar player, and Felix was the keyboard player. I mean, we had a hell of a band. Man. Yeah, it's an all star group. Get better than that. As if this isn't enough, you know, where you not only performed and you had the great clubs, but you made a couple of movies. I mean, who does this, right? And yet you made a couple of movies. Talk a little about that whole experience. How did you get into them? And was it? I, I know, you know, it wasn't the A-list stuff at the time, but it had its audience, and it had it had a genre that kind of fit in. It was a good fit at that time. Exactly, Stephen. Uh, once the publicity started to happen at the Peppermint Lounge, and then I had the hit record Peppermint Twist that became number one, uh, we, we uh, were offered two movies, one for Paramount called Hey, Let's Twist, and one for two tickets to Paris for uh, Columbia movies so and like i told you uh previously that's the first movie that uh uh joe pesci ever uh, appeared in right. you know hey let's twist so we got to do two motion pictures it's just incredible i my my deal was i wanted to have a hit record that was my goal in life but to do motion pictures as well it it, it went way above and beyond my dreams and and my my desires Well, I wanted to ask you, you know, between the song, the Peppermint Twist, and of course, the whole Peppermint Lounge and the Neural Lounge later, it seemed like you kind of, you wanted to have more than even just a song. It was kind of almost a lifestyle because people came there. It, it was a place where, you know, in those days, it was actually, you know, people from all races and, you know, and so forth, all gathered together. It, it seemed like for its time, again, the the epitome of cool. I'm glad you mentioned that, Stephen, because uh, the thing I'm most proud of is not my number one record, not the movies I made. We had the first 
integrated band that had a number one record on Billboard. Okay, starting in the, in the 1958, I had an integrated band because my idea was to get the best talent, and I didn't care uh, uh, what the situation was. Uh, we went through some very tough times where uh, they wouldn't hire me because I had an integrated band. And I said, well, if you don't hire all of us, you don't hire any of us. So I, I turned down plenty of, of uh, gigs that we had because uh, they, they didn't want the, the band to be a mixed band. And I said, well, you don't hire them, you don't hire me, and we're out. And we finally did a tour down south. And the things we we had to go through was just... Yeah, uh, it took a lot of guts that time. I mean, that was in Vegas, of course, that we had the problem. And it was really Sinatra and uh, his insistence on, uh, you know, if you want me, you get everybody, you know. And, and, and you know, thank exactly God people had the right. courage for it. But that was even, again, that song, as I think about it, and I think even of Felix's music... You know, I hear Felix's music sometimes on Soul Town, on uh, Sirius XM, which I really enjoy. And Peppermint Twist has a, an R&B feel to it that's different. It's actually got more of an R&B feel than Chubby Checker's versions of the twist. Pretty much so. And uh, we had so many great people. And, and there are people now that, uh, that are in Vegas. Uh, I'm going to be there in February. My grandson's going to get married in Las Vegas. So I'm looking forward to that. I love Las Vegas. We had uh, Bobby Wilson, you know, yep. Jackie Wilson's son, who lives in Vegas. Uh, yep. Vinny from the Bronx Wanderers. He's I a mean, regular on our show. Great guy. <laughs> these, these are these are great guys and great friends of mine. I love these guys. And uh, Jay Michaels, another friend of mine. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to coming to Vegas. And and this this is the. If if you made it, I saw uh, so many great groups when I was in Las Vegas, uh, the Coasters, the this one, the that one, the, and I I did so many gigs. Uh, my you know it started in 1962. That's that's a long long time ago, <laughs> and I saw Vegas was the place. But you're right, uh, they they uh, didn't they didn't care for too many groups, and like Sinatra did it, and that's great. Sammy Davis, I got stories of Sammy Davis in the book. Where uh, he he did uh, some great things for me and helped me to become Joey D and the Starlighters and he gave me a lot of to me as far as entertaining is concerned Sammy Davis Jr. is the best all around entertainer that I've ever seen he did it all yeah he really was incredible he was people don't even realize he was actually a great marksman where he could he he, he could do things with pistols and dance and sing and, and you know what, what whatever an act just an incredible incredible talent really I did want to ask you about one last thing because you've got a great charity that you started the foundation for the love of rock and roll and the whole idea was this was to try to help guys that didn't for whatever reason uh, retirement wasn't good for them, right? I mean, they they had some some money troubles and so forth. Because it's like anything else. I mean, whether it's sports, whether, the entertainment business is a funny business, and you could be out of things right away. And, and we need to protect those people that built that heritage for us. Well, in the late 1980s, uh, Jackie Wilson. Uh, uh, wasn't wasn't doing too well. He, he did a concert for Dick Clark in New Jersey, and uh, he had he had a stroke, and he ended up uh, going to into a nursing home. 
And I said, you know what? The actors have a wonderful facility where they take care of the people that were in the, the acting business, and they were able to uh, go to the actor's home, and they were taken care of. And I said, we should do the same thing for the music business, because Jackie Wilson was my idol. I mean, he, oh, was, yeah. he was the best as far as performing and singing. He did it all, man. And and his, his son, Bobby Wilson, is doing it now. So thank goodness he, he, he's still being shown. But Jackie Wilson was a dear friend of mine. And I said, let's let's try to get together and make a, a foundation for a love of rock and roll. And it was about getting uh, helping all of these people who didn't make any money in in the business? All he did was make people happy and make great songs and great recordings. And I said they deserve to be treated better than they're being treated. So I started the foundation, and unfortunately, we didn't get enough money to make it the uh, the situation that I wanted and have mm-hmm. a a home for uh, rock and rollers. So we just we went and did as much as we could for it. And we had Dick Clark, and he was the CEO of the company. So we did get uh, some some uh, people involved in it, but we didn't get uh, enough money to have the to, what I wanted, where all of these people that made the records would be uh, safe and, and they have a, their own place where they could be respected. And all the all the music they made for us, and they they made us so happy and, and so special. And uh, it just, unfortunately, we never got the financing to make that happen. There are so many people that didn't make that big money. They were stars and stuff, and other people were making the, the money at that time. Just in the same way that you see, like, old football players, uh, they weren't, you know, they had second jobs. They weren't making a lot. You know, it's great now. And you just wish people would uh, kind of remember that and honor what came before them. But, uh, yeah, it's a strong effort. <laughs> we all appreciate that. Joey, we got to read your book. One more time, give us the name of the book and how people, more importantly, how people can get it. Yeah, just go to joeyd.com and uh, click on it. and Or you can go to uh, Amazon. Peppermint Twist Chronicles is the name of the book. And it's it's about, it's it's a history book as well as just being a musical book because of all of the people and what was going on in the early 1960s uh, with the Vietnam War and, and the people that I was was involved with uh it's hanukkah's coming christmas is coming birthdays come all the time get the book you won't be sorry it's a 20 dollars. it's a paperback book i'm working on doing a a book where i'm i'm doing and and i'm reading so you can have it that way but get the book man you won't be sorry it's a, a great 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 combination of all these fantastic people i work with so from from Sammy Davis Jr. to the Beatles to to cousin Brucey and I, the bill the it's just I've been so lucky Stephen so thank God and I, I've been very blessed to to have all these people as my friends. If you're into music history, there seems to be always this gap between Elvis in the fifties and so forth. He goes off to the army and then before. The Beatles come, but there was music, good music in that time, and I think sometimes we miss it, and I think your book just tells the story. It's a great oral history of that time, not only really in the world of rock and roll, but what the United States felt like culturally. Great book, and uh, I think people should get it. Joey D., what a pleasure. we got to have you on again. I just We had a blast going back in the time. Thank you for spending some time with us. Appreciate it. 
Stephen, thank you, and uh, tell all our friends in in Las Vegas. I can't wait to get there. It's it's one of a kind, Las Vegas. No place like it, man. I love you guys. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com.